Well, good morning, everyone. Thank you very much for uh, making it out here this morning. It was no small feat. Uh, Luke asked whether, for those who had uh, tried to shovel out their driveway, I actually did try. Um, I have this thing, it's called a man plow, and I've been using it all uh, winter and kind of been selling it to other people. This thing's awesome. It just takes me a few minutes. I get through it all. And went out there this morning, and it didn't do anything. It was just... <laughs> completely iced and hard, and I went over the same spot twice and could hardly tell. I was like, I won't even get to third service if I try and get this all done. So, but yeah, good morning. I'm, I'm not up here a ton, so uh, for those who don't know, um, my name is Josh Watson, and I am the adult education pastor here at Whitestone, uh, which might not be familiar to you. You don't usually hear of an adult education pastor, uh, and that's because to be honest, it's a made-up position. <laughs> Whitestone does a lot of charity work, and part of that is employing those looking for a job. So I'm very grateful. <laughs> but right now, that means I do things like oversee uh, life groups and uh, the adult classes here at Whitestone. But here's a picture of my family. Uh, my wife, Karina, my daughter, Hadassah, and my son, Ovidus. And we recently found out that we'll have to think of another name by November. So... <laughs> Thank you. We're pretty excited about that. Speaking of kids, though, uh, one kids movie that I always really liked was The Lion King. You know, most all the other Disney movies were stories about princesses and, you know, romance and spells and stuff like that. But this was about lions, and lions are awesome. Um, but I don't know if you remember that after they came out with The Lion King, they then came out with a sequel, Lion King 2. But then after that, they came out with a film, they called it Lion King One and a Half. Do you remember that? And this was a, you know, a, a movie about what was going on at the same time as the original Lion King, but from a different perspective. It was telling a, a, the story or a closer look at the story of the meerkat Timon and the warthog Pumbaa. Well, that's what I want to do this morning. Not talk about Timon and Puma, but I want to back up several weeks to when our worship pastor, Kirk, preached. He spoke on an encounter that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman at the well, and he drew out some excellent points. That wasn't a pun. I just uh, got that, yeah, drew out. Uh, but... He, he pointed out how we often try to live off that first encounter with Christ instead of going back repeatedly to him, to that source of, of living water. And also how we ought to be like the tree in Psalm 1 that's planted firmly by uh, the water so that you are near the source constantly and can continually uh, draw from it, staying near the source. So today, I just want to you know, hopefully back, back up to John chapter 4 and maybe point out a little more of what's going on in that discussion, um, and maybe add another perspective to it. Which means that Luke was still correct when he said last week that the worship series is now over, because his sermon last week was sermon number 13 in the series. This week, it's going to be sermon number 10 and a half. So if you have a Bible, please turn uh, to this passage, John chapter 4. And we're going to look at verses 23 and 24. And we're just going to go through it and take small parts of it uh, at a time. 
John 4, 23 and 24. And it starts off by saying, but the hour is coming and is now here. And right away, it kind of sounds like a riddle. <laughs> it's, but the hour is coming and is now here. Right away, you think, well, is it on its way and coming or is it already here? It sort of reminds you of something that Jesus said in the chapter before this, in John chapter three, when he was talking to Nicodemus. And he says to Nicodemus that he must be born again, a second time, or he won't even see the kingdom of God. It's like, wait, what? Born twice? And of course, now today we know what that means. We realize uh, what that means. But if we were Nicodemus in that conversation, I'm sure we would have been equally confused at first. But of course, we know that Jesus was talking about the need to be born spiritually. We're all born physically, but we need to also be born spiritually, physically and spiritually. So, okay, if we look at what Jesus is saying to the Samaritan woman in a spiritual sense, maybe that will help. Well, right before this, the Samaritan woman said this. She said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem, it's a place where people ought to worship. Now, the Samaritan woman was referring to Mount Gerizim. It was a mountain right there in Samaria. It was actually very nearby where she would have been talking. She could have pointed to it. And the Samaritans had built a temple there on Mount Gerizim, sort of to rival the true temple that was in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. Uh, where the Jews worshiped. And so she asks, she makes this comment and it's sort of a question as well. And Jesus then responds and says, well, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship their, the father in spirit and in truth. In other words, the hour was coming. It was soon gonna take place when Jesus would die on the cross, rise from the dead and the gospel would spread all over the world. Jesus would send the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And from that point on, the purpose of the temple was fulfilled because now we are the temple. His spirit is in us. And therefore we can worship wherever we are. Uh, his spirit is in us. We are, we are that temple. So wor t worship doesn't only happen at a place like Mount Gerizim and Samaria. It doesn't only happen at even the temple in Jerusalem. But it takes place in every person who has the Holy Spirit uh, wherever they are. So for the Samaritan woman at that time, that hour is coming when Jesus uh, is referring to. But Jesus also adds, and is now here. And that's because it's, it was already true that people could worship God wherever they were. Because throughout the Old Testament, it says that the righteous live by faith. They live by faith. And through that genuine faith in God, they worship him wherever they are. So Noah worshiped God on a boat. Abraham worshiped God in Ur. Joseph worshiped God in Egypt. Daniel worshiped God in Babylon. It's always been the case that the true worshipers of God worship him by faith, wherever they are. So that hour is now here, Jesus said. But again, soon the Holy Spirit would indwell believers everywhere and the temple would no longer be, be needed. That hour is soon coming from that 
time in that conversation. But what's really cool is you can actually think of this in another sense, where it's also true in, an, in, a, in a way for us today, in, a, in an added sense. So for just a minute, imagine that you yourself are standing at a, a well and talking with Jesus. You know, whenever you normally go to the well every day to draw water. And imagine that Jesus tells you that right now you can worship God in spirit and truth. So if you travel to another country, if you're in a different church, if you're outside, wherever you are. But the hour is also coming when we will worship God in spirit and in truth in a whole new way and far better. And then Jesus tells you that that will take place when he comes and takes you to be with him in heaven. Worship in, in heaven, in God's very presence where it's manifested most. I mean, have you ever taken a moment to just imagine what worship will be like in heaven? Just, I don't know, picture it in your mind or if you can sense what that might feel like. You, I would think you would, you'd have to take your most incredible spirit-filled experience of worship here on this earth. You know, maybe it's, maybe it's a Friday night worship or, you know, like Good Friday. And then you would have to multiply that by at least 100. I mean, it's gonna be the most, I mean, we will be overwhelmed, overflowing, with God's spirit. It will be in, an incredible time. And not only that, will we be filled and overflowing with his spirit in his presence, but we will see him in person. So we will know the truth about him. So again, spirit and truth. Then it goes on to say when the true worshipers, well, that kind of gives us, you know, if Jesus specifically mentions that there are true worshipers, it then kind of implies that there's also what? False worshipers or fake worshipers. That's actually a word that we've kind of here thrown around a lot recently, the word fake, usually with reference to what? Fake news, yeah. That it's constantly being thrown around. Of course, everyone has a different definition of what fake news is. On one extreme, fake news is entirely responsible for the election results. On the other extreme, fake news is anything that criticizes those results. But what's far more important from God's perspective is you know, not fake news, but he's concerned about fake worshipers. And that's what it's talking about here. There are true worshipers, but there are also fake worshipers. And it's actually much easier to define what a fake worshiper is. It's actually pretty straightforward because here Jesus tells us what a true worshiper is. So all you have to do is take the opposite. And it says here that a true worshiper worships in spirit and in truth. So that must mean that a fake or a false worshiper worships only by their outward action or based on wrong beliefs about God. In other words, first, it's impossible to truly worship God by what you merely physically do. And for a lot of people, that's the way worship is viewed. You know, going somewhere, bowing, repeating words, saying certain prayers. But Jesus says here, that's not true worship. Or, you know, for us, maybe simply 
showing up to church or standing up on our feet during worship, you know, praise the songs or singing all the lyrics. These are things that are very helpful and a part of true worship very often. But if they're all by themselves, it's not true worship. And that's what Jesus is saying here. True worship happens inside us, in our spirit. And the same thing is true if we have, you know, if we, our view of God is not based on truth. If it's not based on the truth. For example, you know, do you, do you believe that living a good life is enough to lead you to heaven? Well, then you can't truly worship God. Do you believe that there are many ways to follow God, including other beliefs and other religions? Well, then you can't truly worship God. Do you believe that more than anything, God just wants you to pursue what makes you happy? Well, then you can't truly worship God. These are all against what the Bible teaches about God. That's why God gave us the Bible so that we would know the truth. We would take the time to get to know the truth about him and worship him according to it. So this is important because none of us want to be known as a fake worshiper. You know, it's one thing to not worship at all, but to be called a fake worshiper. I mean, we want to be known as genuine, sincere, authentic, a true worshiper of God. That's why Jesus tells us this very simple way. Here, here's the way you can do it. You will always be a true worshiper of God. Worship in spirit and in truth. Then it goes on to say, we'll worship the Father. Now, this may seem like an unnecessary emphasis on just one word, but let me explain. The point here is that first you need to make sure that God is also your Father in order to truly worship him. And we need to be first a child of God. And of course, you might then say, well, wait a minute, aren't, aren't we all children of God? Isn't he the father of all of us? He made us all, right? Well, this is where it's important to know what the Bible teaches so that we can worship God in truth. Remember what Jesus said to Nicodemus in the chapter before, John 3. What did he say? He says, you must be born again. You must be born spiritually. First, you're born physically. You need also to be born spiritually. It says in John 3, 5 and 6, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. So we need to first be born spiritually in order to be a part of God's spiritual family, where he's the father and we're the children. And if we're not a part of his spiritual family, then obviously he's not our father. And this is the same thing you read in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. This is who we used to be. 
We who now follow Christ as believers, we all used to be this. We used to be sons of disobedience, children of wrath. In fact, Jesus goes, he says in John 8, 44, he's confronting some of the religious leaders of Jews. And he says this, you are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. So quite clearly, Jesus didn't believe that God is the father of everyone because there's another father, the devil. And he is the father of lies and of those who are being deceived. So the point is to truly worship God, God must also be our father. You must be born spiritually into his family as a child. And that takes place, that takes place through faith in him, in Christ. Then it says next, in spirit and truth. And this is the main part of the passage. This is the main point that Jesus is getting at. To truly worship God, we have to worship in spirit and in truth. And one of the great things about Jesus, and everything is, but one of the great things is that so often his teaching is made very simple. It's not complex, very easy to understand, very straightforward, very simple. And he does this, he simplifies it right here. You know, I remember when I once was sitting under a, a teacher who it seems like he would take a topic and then he would just present about 10 or 12 different contradicting opinions on that topic and then leave it there. So just in case you had a grasp on anything when you entered the class, it was as if it was his goal to confuse you by the time you left. And it was just all complex and you know, confusing. But usually when, it, when it, someone gives a, a speech or whatever, they try to, okay, let's boil it down to three or four main points. And you know, that way it's easy to remember, it's easy to digest. But here you see Jesus so often, he made it even more simple than that. When he was asked, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, you know what? You can sum all of them up into just two, just two. 613 commandments summed up in just two. Love God with all your heart, love others. And he does the same thing here, just two parts. True worshipers are those who worship God in spirit and in truth. So first you have to worship from within in your spirit, which means that worship is something that always happens in private. Do you ever think about that? I mean, you could be standing in a crowd of thousands of people, but worship, the actual worship that takes place is something that always takes place in private, in your spirit. True worship can only be seen by God. It's the unseen activity in you. For example, worship can happen when you are blown away by God's power and you praise him. When you feel embraced by his personal love to you and respond. Anytime you decide to trust his plans and you express that, that you're trusting his plans even though you are thoroughly confused. Or when you take, you know, simply a moment to thank him or praise him for his blessings, all his blessings in your life. 
I mean, basically, again, it's just thinking big thoughts about God and responding. And all this takes place in your spirit, in the privacy of your own heart, where only God can truly see. So we worship in spirit, but it says we also worship in truth, worship in spirit and truth. And the apostle Paul gives a very good example of this in what he says when he's pointing out the condition of his fellow Jews in Romans chapter 10. Look what it says in verses one to four. It says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This is why truth is so important. Paul is here praying for his fellow Jews I mean, and these are people who have had God's commands and God's word for over a thousand years. And yet he's praying that they simply would be saved. Even though, you know, they have a zeal and a passion for God that's, you know, an incredible zeal and passion, yet they still had a wrong view of who God is. And so it's not truly worshiping the, the true God. It's their own um, idea of, of who he is, and it's a different God. And so they were trying to live good enough to earn their righteousness before God, and they refused to believe that Christ lived righteous for them. Our view of God is, it, it must be based on the truth. Truth is vital. Then it goes on to say, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. Seeking. I mean, he's looking for these type of people. He's keeping an eye out for those who worship in spirit and in truth, which, I mean, think about that. We naturally, we all want to be noticed. We want to be appreciated. We want to be recognized. Think back to when you were a kid. Can you remember when you used to say, daddy, watch me, or mommy, watch me? Any clue how many times you must have said that? I mean, if you have small kids right now, you probably have a rough idea. There are days, I think, when my three-year-old daughter must say this 30 times to me in one day. And it's usually not 30 different things. It's a lot of times the same exact thing 30 times. It's awesome. But I think that in, in some way, we can identify this and we have this desire in our heart in connection with our Heavenly Father as well. Look, God, I, I want to please you. I want to be seen by you. I want you to, I want to make you smile at me. I want to make you proud of me. Well, if that's the case, then here you go. <laughs> it's probably a lot simpler than you thought. Worship in spirit and in truth. He's looking for such people. It says, this is how you can really catch your father's eye. This is how you will definitely get his attention. He's looking for such people. And it says, God is spirit. And it's interesting that this type of phrasing is only used three times in the New Testament where it says, God is something. In 1 John 1, it says, God 
is light. In 1 John 4, it says God is love. And here in John 4, it says God is spirit. Which the point is God is not physical. He's not material. He's an infinite spirit. That's why the second commandment immediately right away is do not make any graven image. Do not make any image of God. You'll always be wrong. God is much different and far greater than any image that you make. For example, take a look at this picture. There you go. Now everyone in this room can say that they have seen the Grand Canyon with their own eyes. Right? I mean, if you've actually been to the Grand Canyon in person, you realize, I mean, you, you laugh at that. There's no way you can take in or you can um, see the, the immensity and the beauty and how breathtaking the Grand Canyon is by just throwing up a picture on a screen. It's impossible. Now imagine how ridiculous it is to try and put the infinite God in an image, to make an image to fully represent God. Because when, when you think about God, he doesn't want you thinking about any image that you make. Because God is spirit. He's an infinite spirit. He's far greater than anything you can imagine. In fact, there was only one time that God was made into an image and it was okay. And it was because God himself became an image that we could look at and see. That's what it's talking about in Colossians 1.15. It's talking about Jesus and it says that he is the image of the invisible God. That can blow your mind. The image of the invisible God. When Jesus became a human, that was the only accurate representation of God, of who he is truly. And that's what it says in Hebrews 1.3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. But another thing to remember that if God is spirit is that he's also not limited to one place. And this is actually what Jesus is getting at in this conversation with the Samaritan woman. Because she said what? Do, you know, do we worship here at Mount Gerizim? in Samaria or the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And, but if God is spirit, then you can worship him anywhere. He's not limited to one place. And he's definitely not confined to inside one temple. In fact, that's exactly what King Solomon is, says whenever he's dedicating that first temple. Look what he says in 1 Kings eight twenty seven. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I've built. God is spirit. He's not restricted or limited in any sense. And then finally, it says, must worship him in spirit and in truth. So one final point is that it's a must. Must worship him in spirit and truth. There are no other alternatives. There are no other options. This is the way he's laid it out for us to worship him. So can someone worship God if they don't worship him in their spirit? No. Can someone worship God if they don't worship him according to the truth of who he actually is? No. Jesus says those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. But it's also true 
if, you know, in the sense that it's a must if you're a follower of Christ, because this is now who we are. This is a part of who we are as a believer. We want to worship God. For example, just to, you know, maybe compare it to sports, and I hesitate to say this here in Wisconsin, but I'm a Dodgers fan. So remember, don't judge like Luke said last week. We're all different. I didn't grow up here. Uh, They're not doing very well right now anyways. But what if, what if I told you that I have never been ever to a Dodgers game? And what if I said I have never even watched a single game on TV or listened on the radio? In fact, I've never even checked the sports page or looked on ESPN to see how they're doing. In fact, I didn't even know that they went to the World Series last year. I couldn't name a single player on their team. Now, would you still call me a Dodgers fan? No, of course not. Not if I never actually cheer for them and, I, and if I don't know anything about them. Now, what if someone says that they are a follower of Christ and yet they never truly worship God? They never worship him from within in their spirit and they don't know the truth about who he is. As Jesus says here, those who worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And they will want to. It's a part of who we are. So just to quickly sum up, sum up what we've looked at this morning, let's take one last look at the passage. John 4, 23 and 24. But the hour is coming when we become the temple of God and is now here since we already worship by faith. When the true worshipers, not those who worship by outward acts or based on wrong beliefs about God, will worship the Father since they are born again spiritually into his family, into God's family, in spirit and truth, from the privacy of their own heart and according to the truth of God's word. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. He's keeping his eye out. This is how we can get his attention. God is spirit. So he's not limited to an image. He's not limited to one place. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. It's a must. It's the only way and it's a part of who we are. So a question that maybe you can ask yourself this morning is just simply, am I a true worshiper of God? And maybe am, am I truly worshiping him this morning? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we are infinitely blessed to be able to know that we are your children, that we can call you Father, that through faith in Jesus Christ, that we have, when we believe in him and surrender our life to what he did for us and to follow you, that we truly become your children, that you give us your spirit, and that we can have this relationship with you as our Father and know that we can truly worship you. We want to worship you. You are deserving. You have given us a thousand reasons and your mercies are new every morning. 
if we are just simply looking with, for, as reasons to lift up our spirit, our heart inwardly to worship you. And I pray that, Lord, you would draw from us more and more true worship as we seek you in our spiritual relationship with you, as we seek you in your word to know who you are. Lord, I thank you that we also have an incredible hope and confidence that one day we will be worshiping in spirit and in truth to a far greater level and a far greater experience when we are in your presence in heaven and in glory. But Lord, we can enjoy so much of worship even now. And I pray that for your glory and for our own good, uh, we would look to follow uh, what Jesus has said here in this passage as, he, as Jesus spoke with the Samaritan woman. And we will know that you are pleased with us. We can catch your eye. We can know that we, in a sense, make you smile when we worship in spirit and truth. That's what you mostly desire of us. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Thank you.